We are studying 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22 is the last chapter, and it explains very clearly the marks of a false prophet. And I would like you to see those marks today. Where are we at in the story of the Jews? Adam and Eve come in Genesis chapter 1. About 1,500 years later, Adam and Eve's descendants are living and the sin on the earth is growing. So God warns them through prophets like Enoch. After 2,300 years, Noah builds an ark. After a little bit longer, a hundred or so more years, we have Abraham. After Abraham are his children, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then the 12 tribes of Israel. And then they're taken into Egypt and held as slaves. After the slavery, they're taken out by the power of God in the book of Exodus. They live in Israel for about 350 years with judges ruling over them. Then they call out and say, we want a king. And God gives them their first king. What was his name? Saul. He was beautiful in the eyes of the people. But he ended very badly. So God chose a king after his own heart. And his name was? David. Then came Solomon, and then the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. We are today at Jehoshaphat. He's several kings into the divided kingdom in Judah. He's the son of a good king named Asa. And Jehoshaphat is a good king as well. But in this story, the king of Assyria, I'm sorry, the king of Syria, Syria was a smaller country to the north of Israel. Syria wants to attack Israel, and Ahab is the king. So Ahab calls for help from Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat says, my people are your people, my horses are your horses. So they gather together to help, and Jehoshaphat says, can't we ask the prophets? And so they call 400 prophets, who say that they are God's prophets, but then Jehoshaphat wants to hear from another true prophet, So they call Micaiah, and Micaiah warns them that Ahab will die if he goes out to battle. 
That's the story. And I want us to understand this story under three headings that come directly from the passage. In the first four verses, we see false prophets arise easily in the time of compromise. That's verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're going to see Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Who are these two kings? False prophets easily flourish in a setting like that. Then secondly, we're going to see the marks of a false prophet. And that's from verses 5 to 13. And then the marks of a true prophet. So six marks of a false prophet and six marks of a true prophet. So you could call the message today the marks of a false prophet. Or you could call it a prophetic ministry. Or you could call it comparing good and bad prophets. And South Africa is overwhelmed with a desire for prophetic ministries. I wish everyone in this country could hear this chapter and hear this sermon. But God has given you the chance to hear this sermon. So I hope you will listen with both ears. Let's look at verse 1. Chapter 22 and verse 1. There's no war between Syria and Israel. Verse 2, but at the end of the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, comes down to the king of Israel. The king of Israel is Ahab. What do we know about Ahab? Is he a good king or a bad king? He's the worst of all the kings. And Jehoshaphat goes to meet with Ahab. In verse 3, the king of Israel says to his servants, Don't we have to go and take back Ramoth Gilead? It's this town that was taken from us by the Syrians. And we need to go and take that town back. So let's go fight and take back our own town. Jehoshaphat was one of only 11 good kings out of 42. 42 kings and 11 of them are good. Tonight, we're going to cover the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. I invite you to return tonight. We're going to cover both of those books, 65 chapters. If you don't know the story of 1st and 2nd Chronicles, come back tonight. And we're going to mention this man, Jehoshaphat, and we're going to talk about the kings. Jehoshaphat is one of the good kings. But Ahab is the worst of the wicked kings. But in 2nd Chronicles chapter 18, we're going to see it tonight... In chapter 18, it shows that Jehoshaphat married one of Ahab's relatives. Jehoshaphat, a good man, takes a wife who's got a bad heritage. And so he has to continue the relationship in chapter 22. He plans, look at at chapter 22, verse 2. He goes down to meet the king of Israel, right here in your Bibles. 
In, in the book of 2 Chronicles, it tells us that he planned a great feast with Ahab. It's like a family get-together. Well, my wife is your relative, and, and we're related, so let's all get together and have a holiday. But the man is wicked. And so Jehoshaphat agrees to support the king. Look at chapter 22, verse 4. I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. Jehoshaphat agrees to support King Ahab. Now this is very important, and I'm not sure when we will get back to this point. So I'd like you to keep your hands right here, and turn over to the book of 2 Chronicles 19. 2 Chronicles 19. I'm not sure when we will ever get the chance to see this amazing Lesson. So look at 2 Chronicles 19, and then we'll go back to 1 Kings. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 1 and 2. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, verse 2, 2 Chronicles 19, 2, And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the ungodly and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore wrath is come out to you from the Lord. God is angry with who? Jehoshaphat. Is Jehoshaphat a good king or a bad king? But God is angry at a good king because he meets with a bad king. There's more. Look at this. In chapter 20, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 35. After this, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 35. After this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who did very wickedly. Ahaziah is the son of Ahab. So after Ahab dies, Jehu has already told Jehoshaphat, God is angry with you because you met with Ahab. And what does Jehoshaphat do? He meets with Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. Look at verse 36. He joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. They made the ships in Ezion Geber. Verse 37. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodeva, of Marisha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has broken your works, and the ships were broken that they were not able to go to Tarshish. That's amazing. God is angry with Jehoshaphat. And when Ahaziah dies, remember there's Ahab. Jehoshaphat meets with Ahab. Is Ahab good or bad? Ahab has a son. What is Ahab's son's name? Ahaziah. Jehoshaphat meets with Ahaziah. Is Ahaziah good or bad? Bad. Ahaziah dies. His son Jehoram comes in. It's recorded in the book of uh, Second Kings, Jehoram calls to Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat meets with Jehoram. 
three times, and he's warned each time. Jehu warns him, then Eliezer warns him, prophet after prophet warns Jehoshaphat, and he doesn't stop his sin. It's weak character. Jehoshaphat fears man. He doesn't have the moral courage to stand up against his wife's family. He would rather go into sin even when a prophet of God says, God is angry with you. He would rather continue on in his sin rather than stand up to his wife and his wife's family. And so Ahab and Ahab's son and Ahab's grandson, each time Jehoshaphat meets with him, and the Bible records God is angry at Jehoshaphat. We need men with character and courage who will live by principle, not by expediency. They will live by principle, not by profit. They do what's right, not what's easy. Jehoshaphat was a good man. But God was angry with this good man because of that foolish compromise. Now go back to 2 Kings, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings 22. Here is a good man, but he did not have either the discernment or the character to do what's right in this situation. Here's the point of verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. In the presence of a weak believer and a wicked man, false prophets can easily steal the stage. False prophets can multiply multiply like rabbits when you've got a man who's a true believer, but he's just weak. And you've got a wicked man. And is that not what we see in our country? Look at what you see in South Africa. You see some true believers who are too weak to tell the truth. And we have a group of wicked men. And when you've got that, believers with no character and sinners, who's going to preach in the churches? False prophets. And that's what we see right here. Jehoshaphat offers his support. He says, you can take my young men and you can take them to their death. Imagine Alex, Junior, Rotondra, Una, Colin. All those young men can go out and die to serve a wicked king. But now Jehoshaphat thinks and says, wait a minute, we need to... We need, to, we need to ask of the Lord. Look in verse number five. Jehoshaphat says to the king of Israel, inquire, I pray you, at the word of the Lord today. This is the second point in the sermon. Because Ahab brings in his prophets. I want to give you now six marks of false prophets. You can mark these right in your Bible. And then we'll give six marks of a true prophet. Mark number one from verse number six. 
Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together about how many? Point number one, false prophets are popular and numerous. There are many, vajinji, vanji, vanyingi, vutala. There are many false prophets. Tell me the number. How many are there here? 400. But you remember two chapters earlier, four chapters earlier. In 1 Kings 18, when Elijah went up to Mount Carmel, how many prophets were there? How many? You're forgetting. There are 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of other gods. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19, it says, Elijah called all 450 prophets of Baal plus 400 prophets of the idols. How many prophets is that? 850. And in chapter 18, verse 40, Elijah kills Every single one of them. So we've got 1,250 who are dead, and there are still how many false prophets left? How many true prophets are there? Elijah, Jehu, Hanani, 2, 3, 4, 10. 5 or 10 true prophets, 1,250 false prophets. Take that into your heart. That means when you go out to visit a church, the probability is you are going to a church with a false prophet. Do not think to yourself, oh, I'm going to church. I'm sure it's a church. Go to yourself saying, I'm going to a church. It's probably a false prophet. You need to think that way because that's what's in the history. Even when you come to this church, I would tell you, come to this church with your ears open and with your Bible open. And if you hear something different from the Bible, mark that man and avoid him. The first mark of a false prophet is that they are popular. And numerous. Jesus promised that the world would persecute true believers. That means they will not be the largest group. You cannot persecute if there's 99% true Christians and 1% false. How can 1% persecute the 99%? The fact that Jesus said they will persecute you means there's a lot of them and a few of us. Luke 13, 24, strive to enter at the narrow gate because many will try to get in, but they will not be able. That means many of them are talking, oh, I want to get in, but they can't. They're fake believers, even though they talk about being a true believer. Luke 13, 24, Matthew 19, 24, Jesus said it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Luke 12, verse 32, Jesus said, do not fear, listen to this, this is what he calls his his people, do not fear little flock. A flock is a group of sheep. He calls his group of sheep 
the small group. He doesn't say, do not fear nations of the world. He says, don't fear you small group. Matthew 7 verse 22, in the final judgment, Jesus said, in the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? And didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? How many? Jesus said, in the last day, many will say to me, not one or two. Not just Bushiri. Not just Pastor Chris. It's going to be how many? A large group. It's going to be hard to find a true pastor. The book of Job says a true pastor is one among a thousand. These days I wonder if it's not one among a million. To get a pastor who will preach the Bible. 1 John 4 verse 1 John says there are many false prophets gone out into the world. 2 Peter 2 verse 2 says they will have large crowds. Jude 14 says there have been false prophets since the days of Enoch that I told you about already. False prophets for thousands of years on the earth. But for some reason we still haven't learned the message because we don't read history. We don't read the history of the Bible We don't read history at all, so we don't even think about it. Since the time of Enoch, there have been false prophets. The time of Enoch, there wasn't even a church at that time. There were false prophets before there was a church. Sometimes men say, as a crude um, reference to Immoral women who sell themselves, they will sell, they will say, it's the oldest profession in the world. There's more biblical evidence to say that the oldest profession would be false teachers before a woman selling herself. So, point number one is that they are popular and numerous. Point number two, verse number six. Shall I go to Ramoth Gilead or shall I forbear? And they said what? What what do they say? Go up. What did Ahab want to hear? Go up. What did they tell him? Mark number two, you know it. They speak what their audience wants to hear. They say what their audience wants. Wants to hear. They cannot preach about repentance or humility. Why? The people will not listen to it. They can't say the law of God. They can't preach the law of Christ. They can't tell you the love of money is the root of all evil. They cannot preach this passage. Because this passage contradicts. So many things that people like. Even even this. Look at chapter 22, verse 23. False prophets cannot preach this verse because the people don't like it. Verse 23. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil concerning you. 
Do people like that verse? God is talking bad about you. What if I preached a sermon, God talks bad about you? Would the people like that sermon or not? It's in the Bible. But false prophets can't say that. They have to say what will make people happy, which means they never talk about hell. They never talk about God's wrath. They never talk about humility. They do not tell young men that they must be pure until they are married. And then they must be pure after they are married. Amen? Purity doesn't end at marriage. It ought to go on and on until Jesus comes. They cannot tell. These false prophets cannot condemn whites who treat black rude, blacks rudely. And they cannot critique blacks who still fear witchcraft. Because they're false prophets. They, they, they just speak to please people. Mark number 3, verse 10. So down in verses 7, 8, and 9, Jehoshaphat says, Oh, I want a true prophet. Verse 8. Oh, there's just one. His name's Micaiah. But notice this. I hate him. What does Ahab say? I hate this man. If you go back two chapters, in chapter 20, Ahab loved Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, the very king who is now attacking Israel. Ahab loved that man, and God said, I want you to kill him. God said, Ahab, kill Ben-Hadad, and Ahab didn't kill him and said, you're my brother. Ahab loved the one he should have hated, and he hated the one he should have loved. Our problem is in our hearts. We love what we should hate and we hate what we should. And if you could fix that problem in your own heart, you would be a perfect Christian. Jehoshaphat says, I want a true prophet. And so they call Micaiah. Now look what happens when they call him. Verse 10. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in an open place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria. Do you see all three of those marks? Number one, what are they sitting on? Sitting on thrones. Number two, what are they wearing? Is it beautiful clothing? Number three, where are they? In the entrance of the city, which means everyone's going to see them. And who else is there in verse 10? All the prophets. Verse 11, Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, made him horns of iron. And he says, thus says Jehovah, with these you will push the Syrians until you have consumed them. Mark number 3. They love sensational shows, or you could say show business. They love sensational shows. They want to stand in front of kings and rich men. Papa Nico has told me before he was truly converted, he went to different churches and he went to one large church. And when they saw that he showed up with a car, they greeted him as a pastor and wanted him to sit in the front because he has a car, which means he has a job. 
They love big shows. They love the big men. They love funny and tricky stunts. They love clothing, music, speech, body language. Everything that says, I deserve attention. But cuisine pizza? Never. Uditukupadza? Never. Humility? Going low? Never. Cleaning the church when no one's around to praise them for what they do? Never. Mark number three, they love sensational shows. Mark number four, verse 11. What does Chanana say? Thus says who? The Lord. That's the word Jehovah. Thus says Jehovah. Chanana is claiming to speak in the name of God. He's not a prophet of Baal. He's not a prophet of an idol. He claims that he is a prophet of? Notice this. This is very important. There are two kinds of false prophet. One kind of false prophet openly says, I serve Baal. The other kind of false prophet says what? I serve Jehovah. But he's lying. Which one is more dangerous? He tricks and deceives millions upon millions of people. If you get from Congo south, something like 70%, there's about 700 million people who live from that area in sub-Saharan Africa. Of that area, about 70%, that's three out of four of the people, call themselves Christian. Almost everyone in sub-Saharan Africa, calls themselves Christian. And in America, there are publishing houses, big printing companies who print beautiful books like InterVarsity Press, talking about Africa's Christianity is the greatest. And the, eventually, Africa's Christianity is so strong that the whole world needs to learn from Africa's Christianity. I tell you, most of the Christians in Africa are following prophets like this, these false prophets. They've been tricked. And we need, as the true church, to tell people, don't follow false prophets. The great majority of people who call themselves Christian are not Christian. And that's true in America, or Canada, or Britain, or Europe, or here. About the only time that you can tell someone is a true Christian if they call themselves a Christian is in a time of persecution. So in North Korea, where there's persecution against Christians, if you call yourself a Christian, you're a Christian. There's no false prophets in North Korea. Because if you're a false prophet, they kill you. The government will kill you. Oh, they're going to quit that really quickly. Somalia, second worst persecution in the world is in Somalia. North Africa, I don't think, you never hear about a guy like Bushiri going to Somalia. You will never hear Pastor Chris going to Somalia. 
You'll never hear the pastors in this town, oh, I just took a, I, I took a trip to Somalia. I think my wife and I are going to move to Somalia. You'll never hear that in this town. Because persecution cuts out all the fakes. But there's not persecution in South Africa. There's not persecution in Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Malawi, Congo, America. There's not persecution. And so because of that, false prophets can flourish. Mark number four, they use God talk. That's verse 11. They use words for their own benefit. They'll say the word uchidza. No, uchidza, oh, I've received Jesus. They don't know what it means to receive Jesus, but they'll say I've received Jesus. They don't know what it means to be born again, but they might say they've been born again. A false prophet uses God talk. Mark number 5, verse 13. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah, I spake to him, saying, Behold, now the words of the prophets declare good to the king with one mouth. Let your word, I pray you, be like the word of one of them. And speak what is, what, in verse, 14, uh, verse 13, speak what? Favorable. Say good things. Mark number five. False teachers practice positive confession. Positive confession. Why? Because positive confession makes sinners feel good. What is positive confession? Positive confession is refusing to say the bad things that God wants us to say. Positive confession is refusing to say something bad, even if it's true. You can't tell people, that man is lost and going to hell. You can't say, I might lose my job because I got drunk last week. No, don't say that. That's not positive confession. You have to always speak favorable things. And then those favorable things will happen to you. False teachers love that. Usually their message is very simple. Comfort and success are coming to you right now. That's what they preach in the churches all over this town and all over this country and all over sub-Saharan Africa. That's why this country is not Christian. That's why I'm here. If this country were Christian, I would leave or I'd be wasting my time. I'm here because the country is not Christian. Their message is, comfort and success are coming to you right now. That's what they want you to preach. March, Mark number 6, verse 13. They pressure others to lie. Do you see what this man does to Micaiah? He's telling Micaiah what to say. He's putting pressure on him to lie. False teachers will pressure you to change the truth. Truth is not important to them. Their lives are marked by excitement, music, flashy clothes, big numbers, cool websites, videos. Their, their, their ministries are not marked by truth, Bible teaching, understanding, reading books. 
Suffering. Their marks are not marked. Their lives are not marked by suffering. Their lives are marked by everything that attracts the eye and the ear. Are these marks not clear today? But that's not the whole story. You see, now Micaiah is going to talk to us. There's not only these six marks, but there is someone else. And he's not popular or well-known. This is the only time he's found in the Bible. This is it. He's not a popular man. He doesn't have a big ministry. He gets this one chance to speak. But he has six marks of a true prophet. What are they? Verse 14. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that's what I'm going to say. Mark number one, he is committed to God's truth. Truth matters and nothing else. When you choose a church, you choose a church based on truth. Not the name of the church, not if the pastor is funny, not if the music is good. You choose a church based on truth. God's people will be saved by truth, even if the truth is painful. We are so weak today. We don't know what it's like to suffer. And so we have decided to remake prophets and pastors in our own image. We are so used to being comforted that we say, and when I go to church, I expect comfort there too. So we can't take truths, even if they're painful. All the true prophets from Enoch to Malachi are marked because they spoke truth regardless of the consequences. A true man of God values the truth so highly that he will even suffer loss before he breaks his own word. Psalm 15.4 If a true man of God says, I'm going to do that thing, let's just say this example, a business adventure. A true man of God says, I've got this company and I say, I'll come to your job on Saturday and your job is just a small one. I'm only going to make 50 rand or 100 rand. And then someone calls me Friday night and says, hey, I've got this really important job. Please, I've got to have you come tomorrow. If you come, I'll give you 10,000 rand. A true man of God says, I'm sorry, but I gave my word. I'd be glad to come and help you, but I can't break my word. That's a true man of God, Psalm 15, 4. Mark number 2, verse 15. So he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go up and prosper. The Lord will deliver it into your hand. But look down at verse 16. The king said to him, How many times must I tell you that you tell me nothing but what is true in the name of the Lord? Mark number two, he is clever and bold. Micaiah knows, Micaiah knows what's happening. He understands human nature. He knows you guys are a bunch of false prophets. He knows you already know the truth. If you go up there, it's a sin. So he stands there and sarcastically answers them. Yeah, go, go have a good time. It's like a true prophet coming today and saying, oh, you want to marry a non-Christian? You want to ruin your life? 
You, you want to marry this, this girl who's not a true believer and ruin your life and ruin your future and all of your children. Yeah, go right ahead. I can't see any problem with that. I can't even imagine a problem coming from that. That's what he does. He mocks Ahab in front of all the prophets. And Ahab knows, you don't mock me. Mock me in front of these people. Don't mock me like that. Verse 16 shows Micaiah is being sarcastic and mocking the king in front of the king and all the prophets. You say, well, your church is so small. Don't talk like that to the king. He's clever and he's bold. He's not afraid. Boldness and courage are marks of a man of God with the fear of God and faith in God. We're not afraid of people. Even if it's the king himself, we, we fear God alone. A true prophet's message requires boldness because the sin of man always presents opposition to the truth. But this man is not afraid. So look in verse 17. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. Mark number three, he has a negative message. What kind of message? It's negative. It's hard. It's a prophecy and it's negative. He promises that God will bring judgment. Like Deuteronomy 28, which spends 14 verses on blessing and 54 verses on judgment. Did you hear that? The the balance there. How much blessing? 14. How much cursing? 54. Four times the amount of curses than blessings. If you were going to follow the pattern of Deuteronomy 28, you would preach four Sundays in a row on God's anger and one Sunday on God's blessing. That's the pattern of Deuteronomy 28. Most of Isaiah and all the prophets are promises of future judgment. The demands of God are negative. When God says, you shall not kill, that's negative. You shall not do it. When our Lord Jesus says, if you look at a woman to think a a lustful thought, you've you've committed adultery in your heart, that's negative. When he says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give money in the offering, That's negative. When God explains the nature of man, it's negative. When God says you are a sinner, it's a negative truth. But that's all through the Bible. And so you're going to have to decide, are you going to teach the Bible? Are you going to believe and accept the Bible or not? The cross is a negative message. Is the cross positive or negative? Negative. God is pouring out his anger on Jesus. God is killing his son. At its core, Christianity has a negative center. God killed his son in order to save his people. You can't even begin. You can't even come at grade R of Christianity without understanding negative truths. What could be more negative than an infinite unchanging king who pours out a sea of anger on his perfect son. What could be more negative than that? 
If you don't like negative statements, you don't like the gospel of Jesus. Mark number four. Look down at verse number 19. And he said, Hear therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? One said on this manner and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you will persuade him and prevail. Go and do so. Do you remember from what we studied last week, the book of Job? The angels of God meet in the throne room of God. And who comes with them? Satan. God meets with angels and demons. And here he meets with a demon. And he says, I want to destroy Ahab. Who will help me get that done? And a good angel could have stood up and said, I will do this. I will arrange to remove all grace from Ahab so that Ahab is killed by the Syrians. Or a demon stands up and says, These righteous and holy angels will not sin, but I'm a demon and I can lie. I'll go into the mouths of those prophets and I'll trick Ahab so that he'll go up and kill himself. And God said, I could use a holy angel or I could use a demon. I can use them all because they're my tools. They're my little dogs that I send out when I want. And I'll send you, demon, and he sends the lying spirit Does your theology have a place for that? Most of the people in this town do not have a place for those verses. But there are half a dozen times in the stories of the kings when God sends a lying spirit. God sends the spirit on King Saul. The bad spirit. God does that. This happens not once or twice. We even saw it last week. When God sent Satan... Go, but don't touch his body. Do you have a place for a God who is so great and glorious that he can not only allow sin and permit it, but he can say to the Spirit, go do your sin. And when I'm done with your sin, I'm going to crush you because of that. But you want to do your... Because what is, in, this great, in this great gathering, all the angels are saying, I'll do this, I'll do this. And the one demon says, I'll go and lie. You want to do that? You go and do that. I'll use your sin, and when it's done, I'm going to judge that sin. This is a view of God who is very high. He's beyond you. You can't squeeze him into your mind. You can understand some things about the one true God, but you cannot understand all. A true prophet, number four, is discerning. Because look at verse 23. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil concerning you. He's discerning because Micaiah knows who sent the evil spirit. Who's going to kill Ahab? God. It's in verse 23. God, the Lord has spoken evil. He's discerning. 
He understands what's happening. God did not sin and God did not lie. He allowed those sins to happen so that he could bring good things out of them. And Micaiah is discerning enough to separate and explain those things. Many false prophets today minister under the power of demons. Did you know that? When I mention Bushiri or Pastor Chris, it's because Micaiah mentions them. And he mentions them in front of them. All 400 men are standing there listening to Micaiah say, Yeah, all these guys, there's demons inside of them right now. Micaiah says in front of Ahab and Jehoshaphat and all the false teachers, those men are controlled by demons. And some people are unhappy when I say privately in my own church, yes, Bushiri is controlled by demons. He's a wicked man and a child of Satan. It doesn't take any boldness to say that here. What if I was standing publicly on TV or standing in front of him? That might take a little boldness. Saying it here, that's not bold. Micaiah does that. And a true prophet of God is going to be discerning and bold. Mark number 5, verse 26. The king of Israel said, take Micaiah, carry him back to Amon, the governor of the city, to Joash, the king's son. Put this fellow in the prison. Feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction. That means dirty bread and dirty water. Throw him in prison. Give him nothing to eat but just what will keep him alive. Make him suffer until I come back again. And what does he mean with that in verse 26? Until I come in, verse 27, until I come in peace. He's saying, I don't believe this man. This man's, this man's a, he needs a shut up. See, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to do my job, and I'm going to come back. He says, I won't come back, but I know better than him, so go throw him in prison. Give him nothing. Make him suffer. What does Jehoshaphat do? Nothing. Here's Jehoshaphat, a good king, who's too weak to stand up against a wicked man hurting a man of God. I ask us, do, do, do you, do I have the courage to stand up against Christian persecution if it means I'll be the one persecuted as well. Jehoshaphat closes his mouth and won't say anything when Ahab persecutes a man of God and throws him in prison. Mark number five, he's willing to suffer. And Mark number six, verse 28. Micaiah said, if you return at all in peace. The Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, O people, every one of you. I can see the stage right now. It's in front of the gates of Samaria. The kings are sitting on their thrones with their beautiful robes. It's a beautiful demonstration. There's probably food and dancing and music and all these festivities. And they're dressed up so beautifully. And they're showing off their power. And all 400 prophets are there. And maybe hundreds or thousands of people are coming to watch this demonstration. And they bring in a guy who's, who's poor, has maybe dirty clothes, old sandals, and they comes in, what do you say? Oh, go up, <laughs> go up. If you want to do that, go. You just follow these guys. If you think they're true, follow them. Tell me the truth. Here's the truth. I saw Israel without a shepherd because the king was destroyed. And I saw in God's throne 
all these lying spirits, and God sent a lying spirit to all those men. Lying spirits are in them so that they will kill you. That's the truth. Ah, throw that man in prison. Punish him. Listen, all of you listen. If that man does not come back, I'm a true prophet. He's confident. Mark number six. He's confident. But do you hear? There's a vital distinction in confidence. Many false pastors are confident in themselves. A true prophet is confident in the word. I can stand here and say what I say. I can shout when I preach and be dogmatic and bold. I can name the names of people because I have the Bible behind me. But if you talk to me about myself, I have no confidence in my flesh. Romans 7. Put no confidence in your flesh. The man who trusts in himself is a fool. I have no confidence in Seth. I have complete confidence in the Bible. That's my KI. That's a true prophet. If it's in the Bible, I say it. I don't care if anyone disagrees. Let the whole world stand up against me. If I've got this, I'm safe. Martin Luther in 1521 in Germany, he was called by the Pope to a diet, a diet of worms, the gathering where all the men would come and listen to this man testify and hopefully recant from believing in the five solas. And Martin Luther was called before all the most powerful men in Europe. And they asked him, are you going to teach justification by faith? Are you going to teach the Bible alone, Christ alone, grace alone, and faith alone? Are you teaching those doctrines? And Martin Luther stood up at that time and said, unless I am convinced by holy scripture and true logic, I can never recant. To do so is neither right or safe. So help me God. Can you imagine standing in that place with the people who control your life or death in their hands? And Luther believed that he was sentencing himself to death because they had already killed reformers before him. And God spared that man and he translated the whole Bible into German. But Luther's attitude is a true prophet. We need these today. And when you find one, give your heart and soul and mind to a church that has a true prophet. Stop playing around. The false prophets are sending Ahabs to their death. And our children are going on in darkness. Find a church with a true prophet. And follow the word of God with all your heart. Let's close our eyes.